Welcome to Talking Mom to Mom. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. My name is Lindsay and my co-host, whom you will meet shortly, is Rochelle. We are two moms on the opposite side of the same coin. Between the two of us, we have children at every age and stage and hope to inspire those homeschool moms who need to pick me up in their busy schedule, busy just like us. We have come to realize that the best way to approach this sanctifying work of motherhood is with a good dose of humor and humility. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. This is Rochelle. Welcome to Talking Mom to Mom. So glad you could join us today. Today we're going to be talking about discovering dyslexia or reading issues in your child. We know that's a big topic as the school year gets going. Uh, A lot of moms are getting ready to teach reading, and it can be a struggle. It can be a struggle for a lot of reasons, and we're going to discuss some of those. And Lindsay and I both have um, some experience in children that have had difficulty and we're going to share our experience as far as what tipped us off or those little red flags that made us think it was a little more than something they're just going to grow out of, like we keep hearing that, oh, they'll just, it'll just click one day. And for some of those children, it just does not. They need remediation. So we're going to discuss that today. But one great thing about that is that did you notice that I said we? Isn't that awesome, Lindsay? We are back. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wasn't sure you were going to address that or not, so we've been a a, uh, singular episode for this summer, and we are finally back together. We're back to school. (laughs) Yeah, that was a it was a nice summer. We we both we gave each other a little bit of a break there, and now we are back, and we're going to talk about reading because it's going to be it's a big issue, and it's going to be a big issue both for Lindsay and I coming up this school year. It has been for me for a while, but um, let's talk about what, because I've been doing it for a little bit for a while, but let's talk about what made you suspect that your daughter was having a bit of an issue beyond the, what people would say, oh, just give it some time. It'll just click one day. But obviously you thought, no, something is not clicking, and it's not going to click on its own. What led you to that? You. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, no, well, you were very helpful at leading me towards, the, you know, finding out the diagnosis. But uh, we, my first daughter was easy to teach. Um, she started reading, I mean, I think her first short sentence with, you know, three-letter words were, uh, she was three, like, late three years old when she first read, and then when it came to my second daughter, we were, you know, she turned seven, and we were still trying to spit out a sentence, and uh, I, I was questioning myself, you know, was my first daughter just so smart, and I hadn't actually taught her how to read and so now I'm actually being tested as a homeschooling mom, and why can't I, you know, teach this skill properly? Um, so there was some frustration there in that. But mainly it was you would feel like you were getting one step forward, and then the next day what she could do one day she couldn't do the next day, and that was really confusing. So um, she would read a sentence very easily, 
you know, on day one and then you come to day two and she couldn't, she would reverse her letters or um, just say a word wrong. She, I was noticing a lot of memorization of words. Uh, so recently uh, she, we were reading a sentence and I told her the word was excited. And then the next paragraph down, the word, there was the word exit. And she said excited when she saw exit just because she saw the X. So she just had memorized that was the beginning of that word, so she just used that. Um, she pulled that from memory and used it, even though, obviously, it's not the same word. So I had, I had noticed things like like that all along the way, and it's it's been a building thing. And so I'd spoken with you, and you had uh, encouraged me. You just said she had dyslexia because <laughs> of all of your experience, and you encouraged me to go and um, seek help in our community to try and get a diagnosis um, for real. And that's kind of what has been happening over the summer. And we haven't actually gotten a formal diagnosis yet, but we went and had her eyes checked and saw an ophthalmologist who said, he believes she has dyslexia, and he did kind of an informal assessment. And so now I, I just feel more validated in what I already knew was going on, and we're just trying to figure out remediation from here on out. All right. It is important to note that dyslexia has nothing to do with vision. However, it's one of the first things you should check out is to make sure that there is not a vision problem, because if there right. is a vision problem, it's not dyslexia, and if there is a vi or I'm sorry, if there isn't a vision problem, it's dyslexia. And I mean, it's not to say that your child couldn't have vision issues and still have dyslexia, but if they were to get glasses and all of a sudden be able to start reading, of course, that's not dyslexia. So just so everyone knows, when she was getting right. the assessment, the she was checking the eye. I, well, in the ophthalmologist I went and saw actually had a background. He had studied dyslexia and had been working with the school system in our community for like 20 years. So it was a little bit of a different right. situation. It wasn't just right. an ophthalmologist. And, you know, and if you suspect dyslexia based on, I mean, you can e do an easy, easy Google search on dyslexia screening, on signs of dyslexia. I mean, you can, you can do all of that. And the formal diagnosis will come from a neurologist or an educational psychologist. And a lot of times those tests are extremely expensive, but check with your insurance because I've heard many times from parents that it is covered, and then I've heard the opposite. So you'll have to check with your insurance because it's going to be different for everyone as far as what's covered and how much is covered. From the people who did get a diagnosis from a neurologist, I've heard it was the best money they've ever spent, even if they did have to pay for it themselves because it was a very in-depth um, test and they were able to, I mean, it's like brain scans and they're able to see exactly what the problem is and because dyslexia is very broad. It is very, it's almost like a spectrum. So you can be mildly, you can be severe and anything in between and it can manifest in many different ways. So, and, and it can have many different issues. Like I have one daughter who can spell very well if I give her, if I read off her words, she spells beautifully but she can't read them just looking at them, and I have the other one with the opposite problem. So you're going to get a lot of variation. But those tests can often be thousands of dollars. So because that is cost prohibitive for a lot of people, 
if you do suspect dyslexia and you don't need the formal diagnosis, at least at this time, for accommodations for either school or for college or college testing, then don't be afraid to, and I don't mean to say diagnose yourself, don't be afraid to purchase Norton-Gillingham um, reading curriculum and use that with your child. That the Orton-Gillingham method could be used with any child, regardless of their reading ability. So if you think, well, my child's struggling, you know, you might want to go ahead and try one of the Orton-Gillingham-based curriculum, and one of those would be like all about reading or logic of English or reading horizons. And there's plenty more. There's, there's, there's plenty of them. And uh, Di uh, what is it, Diane Craft, that's another one. She has some good stuff. So you might want to consult those because you won't be harming your child. It's not like those things are solely for dyslexics and your child's going to get all wigged out if they're, you know, not learn how to read correctly, if they're not dyslexic. That's not at all. In fact, a lot of schools, I think it's Texas, I could be wrong, but a lot of schools are implementing an Orton-Gillingham method of teaching reading to all students. So you can go with that even if you're saying, you know what, I can't spend the $3,000 right now to get a test. Now, you can go to a reading tutor, and you can look those up, like a reading specialist, and they can do a screening as well. And those tests are um, a little bit cheaper. They're maybe between $200 and $500, and they can test your kid as well. But often to get that formal diagnosis that you will need for accommodations, whether your child goes to school or for the college testing, you will likely need the neurologist to do that. Check on that because I'm not there yet with my child. She's only in middle school. She's not in college yet, or we're not quite there yet. And I will be looking into that, but I have not looked into that quite yet. But you will want to make sure on that because if you think they'll need accommodations either while they're in college or to take the ACT or SAT, then you will need a formal diagnosis. But until then, you can start some of the remediation process on your own or you can hire a tutor. So. Don't get too overwhelmed because it is a very overwhelming thing. Think that it's going to cost you a lot of money or, you know, you're going to have to get a diagnosis. And if you've got that diagnosis, you can't get this, you can't do that. We're not an exclusive club. If you have a child that is struggling in reading in any way, uh, whether it's dyslexia or they're just struggling, um, it's not always dyslexia, then try one of those, um, the curriculum, and go from there. And if your child's improving, that's fantastic. If they're not improving, just keep searching. But don't switch curriculum too soon because um, dyslexics, if your child is dyslexic, it does take a while. Um, the average child can be exposed to material like 10 to 15 times to memorize it, to get it. And a dyslexic child sometimes needs up to 50 times or more. So slow going doesn't mean it's not working. Slow going, not at all. It could take a while before you see any improvement. I, I have a child who... Well, I'm sorry, what? Because I spoke for Oh, I, well, going on what you were just saying, I, and, <laughs> well, I, you know, we had gotten Logic of English last year, and we went mm -hmm. through it last semester, and I'm actually starting it over. I was going to tell you that, that we're going to start over and re and do it again just to make sure we have that good foundation going into into this year. So just because I feel like there's just so much that she needs to build upon, because you were talking about learning um, all the phonemes and all of that, uh, just having her memorize all those. And I see the light bulb coming on even more this year than I did last semester. So I was going to tell you that. Right. 
And that can happen where you get, like, it was funny how you mentioned that they know something one day and then they don't the next. I've experienced that many, many times. And it's very frustrating. And then another thing you mentioned was feeling like you, when your child isn't reading well, as homeschooling moms, we blame ourselves and we think we're doing something wrong. That's the first thing we question is ourselves. We don't really question, you know, does my child have an issue? We question, oh, we're obviously doing something wrong. And Or then when we think we do have a struggling learner, then we think, we are obviously not qualified. And to both of those, don't worry about it. Part of that is just your jitters. Part of it is just your pride and all of it needs to go because it's going to get in the way of your homeschooling. So you did not do a poor job trying to teach your child how to read. I have a child who was born reading. I, have, I, I can tell you this, that if you never taught your kid how to read, if you did not sit down and do formal lessons and they're eight years old and they are not reading, that there's a more of a chance that they have a problem than it was by your neglect of teaching them because kids will pick up on something. You see what I'm saying? I they mean, do. It's like, they really do. They will. They're gonna pick, and I can guarantee homeschool moms out there are not neglecting the reading altogether. See, because we think we are. We think, oh, no, is, is she not reading because I did not teach enough or I didn't read to her enough or she wasn't reading enough? Well, dyslexia is not solved by reading to your child, and it's not solved by them reading. So don't feel bad that you didn't read to that, you know, you probably are reading to them plenty. I am sure you're being too hard on yourself. I have not met anyone thus far who has had those fears and who I would have said, oh, yeah, they really did neglect their homeschooling duties. Yeah, that's why their kid can't read. That I don't know that I've ever come across that. So just put that aside. I am sure you did a fantastic job. And even if you can say, well, you just don't know because one year we really didn't focus on this, that, or the other. Well, maybe you didn't, but there are certain signs and there are certain abilities that dyslexic or learning difficulties that dyslexics have that would not have been solved anyway. In fact, when my child was ending kindergarten going into first grade, I noticed that she was having difficulty because the difficulty she had, and they said, oh, she's so young, she's so young, how did you know? Because she was advanced in everything, and it was an unexpected thing that she would not all of us not know. Yeah, I could see that. You know, it was it didn't make any sense, and that's what dyslexia is. It's where they're bright, they're intelligent children, and there's no real explanation for why all of a sudden they're you know they just don't know. They're not they're not going in the same route. You know, like they're they're great ahead in math, and they're great ahead in this, and they're great ahead in that, but they're still reading three you know three levels below grade level. You know that kind of thing. Well, that is an unex- that's unexpected, and that usually is a sign that there is a deeper issue there. And it is a neurological but issue. True, yeah. And, you know, something that I was really worried about um, was that she was not going to like reading. I, I was afraid that she was going to lose that window of where kids get to live for reading. But do you know mm-hmm. what I really found? Because we, we do reading aloud as a family. And then, you know, my practicing reading with her, I actually found that the reading aloud as a family has really kept her intrigued by books. But Mm -hmm. also, just the positive reinforcement, I'm not negative with her about when she can't read something. We talk a lot about, you know, how smart she is because she's actually doing very well in math and other areas. And then with reading, we we try not make a stigma or, you know, a stereotype with it and just talk to her about this is just something that she does differently and that she's going to get it. 
and that, you know, it's just going to take her a little bit longer. But I try it. I try, and see my husband trying, like, really just the positive reinforcement on the reading. And I've been very thankful to see that she hasn't lost a love for reading, even though she really struggles with it. She does talk, though, about how much she wants to read, you know, books mm-hmm. that are bigger, like her sister, or to just go to the library and pick a book off the shelf because she's interested in, uh, you know, a heavier content book than, you know, just little first readers. But you've told me that there's other books out there, the high-low books and things like that. Right, that right, yeah. for people that are more just, more Right, because that becomes a problem. Dyslexia becomes a problem, a bigger problem as they get older. Uh, in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, it becomes bigger because even if they are homeschooled, they start to become embarrassed because they're not in a classroom where they're going to be embarrassed. And we can control how we respond to them. But they eventually get to a point when they're around their friends where they are embarrassed because they know that they're dif- of their difficulties. They're completely aware of it. They know that well, all my other friends are reading this or they're reading this book and I cannot read that book. Or the only books I can read are books that I have no interest in. And there are books called high-low books and it's high interest for low-level reading is basically what it is. And you can look those up online and they're exactly that. They're books written on your child's reading level, grade level, but they're written on their interest level is much higher. So a child that's in sixth grade can read a book that is of interest to a sixth grader, but the text is written maybe for a third grader. And they're, they're actually, some of them are really good. There's a few that have reading comprehension little tests in there and things like that. And we've got, we had a high-low book that was Little Women, and my daughter enjoyed that. But she also does a lot of audiobooks. And we, she, I have it where they don't just listen, like they have the audiobooks where they listen, but they also have it where it's narrated so that words highlight on the page. So they see the text and it's highlighting as it's reading. Oh, and wow. That, okay. I've not heard yeah. That. that. Yeah, you could just, it's just when you add narration, when you go on Amazon and you purchase a Kindle book. And they don't all have yeah, it, but when I don't do that, I haven't done that for the kids. I, realize, I have never read an ebook. How horrible is that? Uh, well, you know what? I was never into ebooks. I I do like paper books, but having dyslexic children, it did kind of broaden my horizons to ebooks. I bought no, I can see that how that would yeah. work really well. And I you. Go, when you're on Amazon and you look through the Kindle, it says add narration, and there's an extra cost, but um, I, it's, it's always been worth it for me, at least I felt. And you just click that, and it will add the narration to it. And, and it's, you know, it, sometimes you might even want to do that for yourself if you want to hear a book while you're cleaning or whatever, but it will actually highlight the words as they're as it's being read to them. And they like that because to them they kind of feel like it, it's kind of giving them a little exposure to the words and hearing it, and they like the idea that they feel like they're looking at it and they're reading it and they're, you know, seeing it. And, and I don't. it keeps up on their vocabulary as well because reading does a lot for your vocabulary. There's a lot of things with reading that offers, opens up a whole world for us, and we don't want that to be closed off to someone who has difficulty reading. So audiobooks have been, you know, a lifesaver in that area. So she can read all the books that her friends are reading. She can read all the books that she has more of an interest in reading. And it's helped her actually read. But it's funny because my daughter is a middle schooler. And the thing that has, in one year, I, I remember reading things in a Facebook group 
I'm in a couple of Facebook groups with dyslexia parents that have dyslexic children, and they'll post this beautiful testimony of how their child finally sat down to read a book or is finally reading, and it took so long, and your kid can do it too. And I remember thinking, I just don't see that ever happening for me because it's always been such a struggle. It's always been either difficult or they get to the point as they get older where they don't want to put the effort in because it is a lot of effort, and they know it's kind of, they feel like it's kind of babyish, the kind of effort that they have to put in. And they just don't want to do it or they're embarrassed of it. And they just, I don't know, they just have a bad attitude a little bit. They're a little resistant to it. But then they get to the point where they're older and they're like, okay, okay, I can't live without it. You know, I've got to learn some things here. <laughs> you know, I've got to put some effort in. But it, it's difficult because it takes concerted effort daily for your dyslexic to do school. So it's very exhausting. And I know I would not want to get up every morning knowing that my day was going to be exhausting and was going to, you know, make me feel bad or make me feel dumb. You know, I wouldn't want to do that either. So, you know, even though we as teachers don't make them feel bad, they we, they don't need us. To, they will feel bad. So that's one thing you will have to be aware of. If you have a child that struggles, they will feel bad. You can be be positive, but don't discount that they will feel bad about it because you're going to have that's to be good there. Point. They, they're going to get that. They, you're going to be positive and you're going to and you're say, oh, no, it's okay. But you don't want to make it sound like you're discounting the difficulty that they're having by just always being positive. You have to say, I know it's difficult, and but it's not hard for anyone else. Well, you know, it's, you know, you don't want to tell someone, like, when they're reading, well, that's an easy word because there aren't easy words for dyslexic. <laughs> there are no easy words. There's no easy task. And what I did is I celebrated every victory, and even though that made my daughter feel a little, like, you know, because they want to act like they think things are they're too cool for everything, I'm sure that did help the idea, look, you read that entire book. And then in some ways it feels like you don't want to make too big of a deal out of it because they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm making a big deal out of this, and I should have done this four years ago. But at the same time, they know. they, they don't, don't let them fool you. They, they feel good about it. They just it, – it's mixed feelings. It's always mixed feelings when you're dealing with – something like that. And some are going to be very excited. It depends It depends on the, the kids. I have a seven-and-a-half-year-old who's a total drama queen. She likes me to make a big deal of everything. <laughs> yeah, so that helps, and that could be really um, motivating. A motivating factor is that, you know, she really enjoys that. But I finally got to the point with my middle schooler where she's reading and she's doing all her assignments on her own and she's all this stuff, and I'm like, my goodness, that you've grown leaps and bounds in just a year, and you would have seen how slow it was from first grade to, like, fifth grade, and then in sixth grade it got better, and then we're going into seventh. I'm like, wow, okay, she's picking up books and she can read. She can read signs. She can read this. She can read that. And she would try to read everything because she saw some girl in some commercial, I think it was, I think it might have been Disney even, I really don't remember, some actress, and she had said that she was dyslexic, but her parents made her read everything. No matter what it was, they pointed out the words, and they had her read it. Now, if she couldn't read it, and this is one thing that is a pet peeve of mine with my husband and my oldest daughter, who she also had reading issues, but not as severe, so you'd think she'd know better. They would they tell them to read a word, and you look at it, and it's phonetically, you can sound it out. No, sound it out. And so they'll tell either my younger two daughters, no, you can sound it out, sound it out. Well, they're completely frustrated. Because they don't quite understand it's not that easy. It's not, they don't, can't just sound it out. Now, sometimes they can, but sometimes they can't, and they should not be made to feel bad because they can't, or made to feel like, oh, come on, because it makes them feel bad. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. Well, saying you can do it, and then they can't do it, and they don't think they can do it, has the opposite effect. 
of me right. to feel confident. <laughs> so I'm like, no, don't do that to them. If they don't do it, if I say, do you know what that word is? Well, then do you remember what this sounds like? Do you remember what that? Okay, well, or or sometimes I just tell them, you know, I'll just tell them. Because my, da- my daughter's never embarrassed to ask me what something says, and she's going to be, you know, she's 12, and she's not embarrassed to ask me. She's embarrassed to ask other people, but she's not embarrassed to ask me because I don't put her on the spot or I don't say, oh, come on, that's easy, just do it. But I did ask her, I said, what was the biggest thing? I said, you have done so well. What has caused you to, you know, what's what's changed? What have you done? Have you done something differently? Did it just click? What happened? She goes, well, Pinterest and texting. I'm like, you know, all those hundreds of dollars I spent on curriculum, and you're telling me oh that you goodness. wanted to keep up on Pinterest and texting, that you finally, that the, just the girl texting me, I'm like, oh, my, and I can tell when she's, she used to do it by voice. I can tell she's not because there's misspellings or there's weird autocorrects, but most of the time it looks good. So I'm like, wow, I should ever text her assignments to me. <laughs> I was like, what? All of it, I guess whatever gets them motivated. And now she'll just read, and I, it's amazing the, the progress well, that they can that make. That is true, though, that you have to find different personality. You have to find what motivates them. Um, this is unrelated to reading, but like my oldest daughter, she is motivated by checklists, and I do not understand that. I'm, you know, I'm not a checklist person. I, I don't like lists. I rebel from them, but she just loves a list to check off, and so I've had to force myself to do that with her. Yeah, I mean, motivation works because dyslexics have to work so much harder. Keeping them motivated is the problem. You know, we can give them, we can sit down and do phonics rules all day long. But keeping them motivated to want to learn and get up and do it again and get up and doing it again and get up even after, you know, you failed or you failed, you know, that's where we have the difficulty, you know, is just that motivation, you know. So it's like it won't solve your problem, the texting, the looking at Pinterest. No, that's, of course, it's not going to, that isn't remediation. But it gave the motivation to remember those lessons to remember what I'm telling her, to take the remediation seriously. That's what it did. Another thing that I felt I did that was significant was, well, I mean, I'm a trained Orton-Gillingham tutor, but I'm still mom. So one thing that I felt that I did that was significant is I allowed someone else to tutor my kid for a short time. It was a, it was a program. It wasn't a summer program. It was, it was during the year, but it was, a, it was at a college, the college my oldest goes to, and they had a program, a reading program, where the graduate students would help struggling readers. It wasn't specifically for dyslexia, but it was, and it was Orton Gillingham, and they used some other methods as well. So I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go ahead and sign them up, um, both of my daughters and younger ones, sign them up so they can have a, be under the tutelage of someone else. Because when I make them do things, they think I'm being silly, or they think that my assignments are oh, I don't want to say that vowel again, and I don't want to do this again, or really do we have to take all these steps? And I thought it might be good for them to see someone else doing the exact same thing that I was doing anyway. (laughs) So it sounds wasteful, but it really wasn't because they enjoyed going. And even though my younger one, she really didn't, her, she didn't improve all that much. The improvement wasn't really all that noticeable. But for my older daughter, there was a, there was improvement, and it helped. I saw a huge difference in the way she approached school and in the way she approached the lessons I did because she got to she had someone else teaching her in 
in a lot of the same methods that I was. And it was this young girl, and they were getting along, and she still gave her the lessons. And, I mean, I had a daughter that did not want to read out loud. She didn't want to write. She was very obstinate about both things. And then by the end of that, she's reading out loud and she's writing because her teacher, her tutor, that was all she she had to read out loud. She had to write, and she wasn't going to, you know, get away with not doing it for her because it was like that pressure. It was like, oh, she wants right. to read out Okay. Well, I'm kind of embarrassed to do it. And, and her tutor told me, well, at first she really didn't want to, and she was resistant, but she encouraged her, and she finally did it. And then it really did help, and at least for her. Now, not all kids are like that, but if you have a kid and you're noticing that you're doing your curriculum with them and maybe they're resistant or they think it's, you know, how oh, I don't – because if, if you've started this already, you know that dyslexia remediation, there's a lot of repetition, and that can get very boring for everybody. So, and so they get tired of it. So when they see someone else is making them do it and they see that it's not just you and you get a little break and you let them take care of it, sometimes that really does help the overall process because we just want to well, get them on the path. That's true. And for my listeners, I just wanted to to say that you can, it is possible to go through your local public school system and find free services. You can hire a tutor. That's one option. But if you are looking for something that is more cost effective, um, it, it is possible, depending on your your county, to find services through your local school system because that's, that's what we're doing this semester. Right. And you can, you know, you can see about other colleges that, um, colleges in your area or other, there's two That's in my true. area that offer tutoring and screening. And a lot of their graduate programs or a lot of the graduate students will want to have the opportunity to tutor. And I mean, they're right to the two women that, um, tutored my children. As soon as they were done tutoring, it was, throughout the, you know, the school year, they were graduating. So they were both graduating with their masters. It wasn't like my children were total guinea pigs. They knew what they were well, doing. Well, I hadn't looked at the and college. Uh, I haven't been pushing for going to the college, so I should, I should do that. I hope that these, I hope this has actually helped those who are listening. <laughs> so yeah, there are a lot of options out there. Yeah, a lot of options. Yeah, just make sure, you know, that you're, when you're looking, you know, make sure that you ask, you know, how they're going to conduct their reading lessons. Are they using an Orrin Gillingham method or what method are they using? Or Barton, you might want to hire a Barton tutor as well. That's another um, excellent resource as well. So it, I know it seems overwhelming, but, and this is basically just, uh, we're just giving you ideas of where to look ideas of not, you know, making sure you're not getting overwhelmed. We're not going too in-depth because it's just a podcast, but we're trying to give a little bit of direction and try to help you out just a little bit. But if you do have specific questions, we do encourage you to email us at info at talkingmomtomom.com. We also encourage you to come to our website, talkingmomtomom.com as well, and uh, join us on our Facebook page, and that is Facebook slash talkingmomtomom. Remember, the two is the number two. And ask us anything that you'd like. Um, Lindsay is beginning her journey on on dyslexia. I have been doing it for a while, and I am a tutor as well. And we are going to, so stay tuned and keep looking at our blog, because we are going to try to 
give more lessons and more printables and more help and more resources and support to moms who have children, not just dyslexic children, but children that are just struggling or need a little extra help. In those areas with reading, it's become a passion of both of ours, and we want to share what we learn with all of you because what it's like to have a child who is struggling and how difficult that can be for um, everybody involved. And we know what that can do to your homeschool day as well. We don't want to spend, we don't want you spending a lot of time, uh, you know, being overwhelmed and upset. So go ahead and give us a, um, send us an email or comment on our blog or however on Facebook. But we are so happy that you joined us and we want probably be discussing this topic further as it is very relevant to us and we hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening to Talking Mom to Mom with Lindsay and Rochelle. Talking Mom to Mom is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.